Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I am a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. Currently, the lightest I've been in more than a decade. Ooh. Scale set 236 this morning, so another pound mm. down. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching twink status. But yeah. yeah, it's going good. <laughs> Getting ready for my meet. I got to weigh in at 220. There's no way I'll actually make it to that. I'm going to cut down, but uh, yeah, it's going good. Nice. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an exercise physiologist, uh, university instructor, and out here in Washington, D.C., getting ready to teach a seminar today and tomorrow. Cool. Traveling me. Yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, let's see what we have here. We've ha- we have one bit of news. Uh, I'm sorry, one bit of mail. Uh, and then we have some event news. We have some science news. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about low carb diets. We'll probably drift into, you know, ketogenic diets, maybe a touch on paleo or those sorts of things. And we'll talk about some of the science, look under the hood in a cell, but also some practical tips on how to get in a, for example, a low carbohydrate state, what it does to your body, what it does to your performance, stuff like that. Um, the, the listener mail is from uh, Adrian, and uh, I'm not sure about the spelling, if that's uh, a guy or a gal, so I apologize, Adrian, but um, the email is a little ironic that I'm reading it because it's sort of a request not to do listener mail (laughs) at the beginning. (laughs) Anyway, it says, Dear Iron Radio, I love your podcast, but I was wondering if you might be able to make it a bit more content-focused. I just listened to the contest prep episode and I was 30 minutes in before the topic was addressed. Perhaps a listener mail could be a separate episode, or you could list the show notes uh, in a timestamp uh, with, with where the content is. I really appreciate the solid information, but I would rather not hear long bios of the speakers or listener mail. So again, I apologize then, Adrian, because I just read one, which was yours. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, we do try to have segments in the show and everybody, I think, at least after they listen for a while, if you want to get right to the topic, just go to halfway point, right? At right around the halfway point that we go to the topic of the day. Uh, some people like the human story, though, the human aspect of it. You know, why people got involved, especially if it's like your favorite athlete or lifter. You know, uh, like when we had Branch Warren on, he was talking about his childhood and stuff like that. It's So some people like it. Uh, some people send me emails and they say i really love the news like we're a way for them to get news that they can sort of trust because we we interpret it whether it's an event like we're going to talk about today or some science news we can we can offer some editorial with it so people want different things and i do appreciate this email this is what i would call constructive criticism right it's positive it's like i just really like the content and again i that's great and sometimes we do, if we have a backlog of mail or news, we'll have a whole show just called Mail and News. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, point well taken. I mean, usually if we have a guest, 
we're not going to run through six or eight different news bits. You know, we'll do like one mail and one news yeah. and then get right to it. But it does kind of break up the hour. You know, I think some of the best podcasts, they have little bumpers and little segments. So, you know, early in the show, you're going to get some news. You're going to get a little mail, um, you know, chip chat maybe. And then if we have a guest, uh, I kind of like the origin story thing. Like I said, it really depends if the person is someone you identify with maybe. You know, but. Well, yeah, and I think I can tell you from my aspect, just as a, a host on the show, there's a lot of times I don't know this person we're interviewing, and it's good to get some background on, and, and it offers some validity. You know, oh, this guy, that's his background. Right. Now we're going to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, where he's coming from. Type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's true. So, that's true. Yeah. I always like it because it gives me an idea of what sort of lens they view the world yes, from. Yes, exactly. So you can get a better idea of how they kind of got to the conclusions they got to. Yeah, yeah. So we try to – there is structure. It's not like this is chaos, right? It's mail and news, bio, and you know, introduce yourself for the guest when we have one. And then the second half is the topic. And a lot of our listeners are like, got it, guys. You know, but, yeah, but you're, you're now an Iron Radio veteran. You're, you, know, you know that's how it works. So, um, but there you go. We do try to mix it up for everybody you know, and address a little bit of each thing. So toward that end, let me offer – one bit of science news, and then we'll get into some event stuff because there's some events coming up. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, this I got this through labmanager.com. This is one of those news catcher feeds, probably not for everybody who listens because there's a lot of really dry, dorky stuff. <laughs> but uh, it says an alternative to opioids compounds from a marine snail are potent pain reliever. So. Uh, and bear with me, I'm doing this because, let's face it, there are a lot of lifters, middle-aged lifters, or even younger guys, uh, they put a lot of mileage on their frame, and they end up with chronic pain, so so bear with me. Scientists at the University of Utah have found a compound that blocks pain by targeting a pathway not associated with opioids. Research in rodents indicates that benefits continue long after the compound has left the body. And this was just presented in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. They, they go on to talk about the opioid crisis, right, highly addictive. They actually point out 91 Americans die every day from opioid overdose. So they were interested in, they're looking at these snail venoms uh, to actually identify new pain pathways. So completely different way to address pain. Now, that, this is where it gets interesting. It says the researchers found that a Um, A compound that they isolated from the snail's venom acted on a pain pathway that's distinct from the one that's targeted by opioid drugs. The pathway adds to a small number of non-opioid-based pathways that could um, be developed into chronic pain meds. Now, this is what caught my eye the most. It says the compound works its way through the body in four hours, but scientists found that the beneficial effects lingered. Uh, we found that the compound was still working 72 hours after the injection. Remember, this is experimental phase stuff. Um, still preventing pain, said J. Michael McIntosh, professor of psychiatry at University of Utah. What's particularly exciting is the aspect of prevention. Uh, it says once chronic pain has developed, it's hard to treat. This compound offers a potential new pathway to prevent chronic pain from developing in the first place. Wow. So I think about the guys who, you know... We've all heard the stories and probably even talked to guys who they pop Vicodin because their back is killing them, but they're not going to stop training, 
you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is going to move on to some clinical testing for safety and effectiveness. Um, interesting stuff, though. It's the compounds. I'm not even going to get in it. They all have just letter and number designations that nobody will remember right now. But, uh, yeah, keep your eyes open for some of these new class, right? New way to treat Mm -hmm. chronic pain and even prevent it from getting a hold of you. I mean, I can relate to that. I mean, when I was battling my hip for five years, there wasn't a squat day or deadlift day that I didn't pop a pain pill before I went in. But what was my other choice? Not do it for five years, and then where would I be? You know, I haven't had to have a pain pill since, like, four days after my surgery. You know, which is awesome. But, you know, if I just, oh, I guess I got to take five years off. You know, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, there's a fine line. You know, you hear some of the sad tales of guys who yeah. they're literally popping Vicodin every couple of hours. And then they're practically in a yeah. wheelchair. You wheel them up to the yeah. squat rack so they can squat their 750 or 800 pounds. And then they go back yeah. to being crippled. Yeah. At some point, you need counseling. Yes. <laughs> but you're yeah. right. The flip side of that is, what, you're just not going to lift at all? Uh, yeah. It would be a downward spiral. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, I think that's just how far you're going to go to give up function. And if you start really giving up function, my hypothesis is that that's going to make everything worse long term. Yeah. But like you're saying, Lonnie, it's like, do you, you know, where's the line, you know, for that too? And mm-hmm. what type of function are you looking at? You know, maybe yeah. you could do a different type of squat or different exercise. I think people tend to get invested in if they're powerlifting the only thing they think about is squat bench and deadlift because oh, yeah. those are the powerlifting lifts but yeah. maybe there's something else you could do to try to keep some of that function too at the same time yeah absolutely in fact i was just talking to mc powers we've had her on the show mike you know her yeah um strength coach at um, kent state and um she was saying just to your point about becoming hyper focused She's working with the, now. They're men. These are college males. They're 21 years old. They're they're runners, and they're so weak they can't do a single sit up or push up, and wow. they're so specialized. Like, how do you end up in a Division One school? You know, essentially champion runner, but you're so dysfunctional that if you fall down, you can't just sit up. I'm not talking about with a 40 pound <laughs> sandbag on your shoulder. I mean, yeah. you can't get up. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I know this isn't about pain, and I'm off on a tangent here, but it does show that, yeah, you're right. People value singular movements or singular exertion so much. All of their exercise revolves around it, and they otherwise lose function, you know, like daily yeah. life. It's I've often wondered about what is sort of the the minimum standard you should have just to be a good functioning human. And then, you know, what can you do for your sport specifically? Yep. You know, there should be some... And that's going to be different for everyone, obviously. But there, sh- there should be some baseline. You can't let that erode to nothingness. Right. Well, like if you're a veteran powerlifter and you're literally in a wheelchair, I mean, you know, a, a little girl could come up and rob you <laughs> and you couldn't even <laughs> chase her down, you know, and yet you can squat 800 pounds. That's specialization to the point of disturbing. Or the runners who can't – Yeah. Who literally can't sit up on their own. What? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I have one event, and then I'm going to hand things over to Phil because he's got juicier stuff with the with the events. Uh, the NSCA has their annual TSAC conference, their tactical training conference, coming up um, April three through six in Orlando. So you can, if you're a strength coach, you can get some continuing ed credits for that. It says check out Jeff Nichols' session on recovery and the central nervous system. So uh, 
Yeah, I, and I believe Dr. Brian Mann, who's been on here, I believe he's speaking. Don't quote me on that. But um, okay. it looks like there's some some really good speakers there. Yeah. So tactical stuff. Um, yeah, coming up April 3 through 6 in Orlando. So check out the NSCA. I think it's nsca-lift.org, something like that. Yep, that sounds right. And with that, Phil, you've got some like Arnold Classic stuff, or what do you got going? Yeah, yeah. I figure we'd go over some of that. If anybody is wondering, I'll be out there. I'm just going one day. But uh, uh, you haven't been for a while, have you? No. And you know, my wife talked me into it, so I'm I'm going out, and me and Windler are going to walk around together. So <laughs> should be interesting. Uh, I think I told Lonnie about it. The good thing about going with Windler is like I could be in the worst mood ever, and I'm still the happy guy. So yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, like, a, like, that's a lot of salt. Oh, Phil's such a nice guy. Look at him. So, <laughs> he's, so, bu- he's bubbly by comparison. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So um, no, I'll try to get some training in. So I'll probably have some stories after after it. But we'll be out there Friday, um, wandering around. No, I just wanted to come into some of the vents. There's been, I think, one of the neat things is they did a Highland Games a few years ago, oh, and nice. it was a massive flop because they did oh. it outside two degrees uh they're doing i don't i think this might be the first one it's an indoor highland games this year wow at the arnold so uh that should be interesting they had to change up some of the events because of course you can't throw a a hammer that's going to fly 150 feet inside of a convention hall so they're doing a lot of over bar stuff uh they're doing the sheath which is the burlap sack that goes over bar and then they're going to do a keg over bar um where the, the the height is increased, of course, just like weight over bar, um, for men, women, amateurs, pro, uh, and then weight over bar, they'll do the heavyweight for distance, open stone, and the one that interested me, I didn't think they'd do it. They're doing caber toss inside. That's what so, I was wondering. Yeah, so they're doing that. They're doing that one inside. Um, huh. Should be interesting. So I mean, that one's worth looking at. The the amateurs go on on Friday, pros Saturday, I think. And uh, Women's Sunday. Let me look just to make sure. Amateur, amateur, and women are Friday and Saturday pros, or Friday and Sunday, uh, and pros Saturday morning. So that should be an interesting one. Um, the other one that's causing a stir a bit is the the uh, strongman competition, which is always a big one. There, you know, you've yeah. got two really big. Uh, meets each year for strongman and that's the arnold and world's strongest man and you're seeing some big names that aren't going to be there this year um really like Ed, eddie hall He's apparently not. apparently he didn't even qualify um really he never went to one of the events to qualify for it so huh. <laughs> even though i mean of course we all know he's strong enough he did he just won yeah. uh so he won't be there um and zavikas got injured last week oh. carrying like a 1500 pound yoke um and so he had to back out so um you got half thor of course and brian shaw and stuff like that but uh yeah it should be interesting and then i don't know they've they've lightened the log this year uh so everybody's kind of there were people bitching about that um they're like oh it's only a 380 pound log well maybe they'll win with three reps instead of one yeah, you know, that's, right. some other people were like, test. it'll be a little more fun because I guess you know there's a lot of times where it's like miss, yeah. four people make it and like four, everybody else misses the log. So um, 
they're doing a bag over bar, which is a new event. And uh, basically it starts with a bag and the bag just keeps getting heavier. And it's whoever can throw it over the bar. Um, and then, of course, the uh, like we talked about, the, the Austrian Oak, they're pressing it. They're doing the, the big deadlift. Uh, starting weight, 750 pounds. Competitors have 30 seconds per attempt. Uh, and the timber carry, which is that big frame. And then a heavy yoke. So over a few days. So that'll be interesting. It's always heavy. The yoke is somewhere between 1,300 and 15, 15, Wow. I have carried a 1,000-pound yoke, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, my hips hurt. I did it. But, I mean, my hips hurt for a week after that. So it's amazing the size of these guys and what they can handle. Uh, yeah, the I saw the video. Did you see uh, Brian Shaw's uh, deadlift in practice? Yes. Over 1,000. 1,030. Uh, he's a beast, man. Oh, I know. I think he's, he's up a giant. to 450 pounds now, and he's not, like, super fat. He's a, well, <laughs> yes. I mean, exactly. he's just huge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the people don't realize is just the mass of these people. Oh. They are. Uh, oh, yeah, you watch giant. it. You watch it on TV, and they're like, the little guy's up, and he's 275. Yeah. And you're like, wait. <laughs> Stop. We've lost our frame of reference here, you know. Yeah. About let, get get a normal human being to walk by, you know, for perspective. Yeah. Because that's crazy. I mean, I can I can tell you this. I mean, Brian's arms are larger than my legs. I mean, Dear they're God. just he's, he's huge. You know? Yeah. And then I mean, the same thing could be said about guys like Halfthorn and stuff like that. They are just yeah. a mass of humanity. Right. And it's yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's what that takes. You, you saw a few years there when there was, uh, oh, Pujanowski and stuff like that. So you had the smaller frame guys doing the, the world's strongest man. But in general, that sport is just made for Clydesdales. It's oh, yeah. just huge guys that can handle that. They Their joint is so big. See, that's it. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're so big that 1,500-pound that yoke. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not. I'm not taking anything away from their strength. They're strong as hell. But like you yeah. said, when your frame is that big too – it changes the reference that like the scale is now different, you know, because yeah. they're just so huge when you're, yeah. When you're six foot seven, you wait, I heard someone say 400 is the new 300 and I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, for body weight, yeah, you know, wow. Yeah. So. It's, it's crazy, man. So, and I don't think you realize how big those guys are. Like I was there a couple of years ago and just got to watch the show and you stand next to some of these guys and it's mm -hmm. just insane. Like you, like you guys are saying, without a frame of reference, they they all look big, so therefore they don't seem yeah. as big as they are. Yeah. Yeah, when you see them on TV or whatnot and they're standing together, but you put a regular person. Yeah. That's like the thing I always pull up is Mark. Like Mark Bell's a big dude. You yeah. know, he's he's. I go and see him, and he's lean at two sixty. And then you see a picture of him with Brian, and he's he's a midget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's the so, height too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just, Oh, but no, it'll be fun. And then of course there's the expo and everything else going on. Um, but yeah, we're going to kick it, kick it out there and, and see some things. So That'll if anybody's fun. out there, look me up. So I'll be walking around the Arnold for a bit and then probably just go train in Jim's garage. And I got that meat coming up, so I can't miss too much. So, Oh, something stupid will happen, I'm sure. You know, we'll go train and things will get dumb. But that's all it's fun. You got to have those days. So, right on. That's what I got, man. Okay. 
All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We are going to go to break, uh, uh, and we'll be back in a bit. Hey, listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everyone, we're back. Uh, it's Dr. Mike Nelson, it's Phil Stevens, and it's myself, Lonnie Lowry, and we are going to talk about low-carb today. Uh, it's a sort of a multi-year trend. You know, a lot of this stuff, in my memory, goes back to the days of Jeff Volek doing some stuff, some of the Adkins work and that sort of stuff, and then CrossFitters and the Paleo. There's been all these sort of tangents from it. Um, so let's start with, you know, in the trenches, I guess, Phil, at, at Strength Guild, is there a place for this? Do you have people doing low carb or? Yeah, I mean, we do. I do it. I think it's uh, it's one of the the diets I probably recommend more. Um, and generally for because it's simple. So like newer people that need to go from. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll paraphrase Dave Tate here. If you need to go from shit to suck, it's a real easy way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know? So, I mean, it, it's simple because there's no tracking calories. Literally, you're just excluding a macro, and that's pretty damn easy. Uh -huh. um, the thing I stress is keeping your green vegetables and stuff like that in there, right, which yeah. I think some people go a little too crazy with. 
you know, they they have a diet of nothing but like meat and cheese and eggs. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as and long bacon. as you keep, you know, some of those in there, yeah. I mean, I get phenomenal results. Like I had one girl that started uh, just two weeks ago, and of course she's down like four pounds, in a and she's averaging two pounds a week. And you know, my wife did it coming off of. Uh, she got done breastfeeding my son, and she's lost like 35 pounds since Thanksgiving. Wow. So, and it's mainly just been low carb and getting back in the gym. And I think I think it's overplayed a bit uh, the amount of carbohydrates you need as a pure strength athlete. You know, there's not – you can get away with uh, not too much and still do well. I mean, there's going to be a point where – you start getting lean, and I, I add them back in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's an easy way to, you know, the war on carbs is what Mark's always pushing now and stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, the, the thing I like about it for the average person, it's simple. There's no MyFitnessPal usually. There's none of that. They don't have – it's a good first step um, to then build on, okay, now you want to get really lean. Okay, we're going to have to get more complicated. You know, right. So, um, I like it because it's simple, you know, and my older populations or my diabetic populations, which I somehow end up dealing with a lot of that. I think it's just today's age. Um, it's a quick fix. And I mean, I think even the average person, it's not a bad idea uh, for once a year or something, take a month and get a reset going on, man. You know, go low carb, get the knock all the sugars and and starches (coughs) out of your diet for a little bit and. You know, fix your insulin sensitivity, at least in the short term. Right. Uh, yep. And also just uh, show you have the mental fortitude to <laughs> not eat like a complete slob. You know, so. it's true. I used to, I think I wrote an article once called Justifying Your Post-Workout Carbs. You know, yeah. I mean, you think about energy systems. Like, I, I know, Mike, you and I agree that if you're going to do high-intensity stuff, um, Fat burning, fat oxidation, it's not going to supply the fuel. Usually when people are really fat adapted and that sort of stuff, and you ask them to do high – you ask them to maintain a high power output, it it sucks. You know, It feels hard to do that. Those energy systems are, are just the, – the fat burning systems are just slower in nature. But it begs the question, if you're doing single effort stuff, like, right now, like you're not running glycolysis hard, you're not leaning really hard on – carbohydrate and you know glycogen you know storage in your muscles or whatnot um i don't know it, it the energy systems that are involved are not necessarily carb dependent in the same way you know what i mean because you're talking about like single effort low rep stuff uh you know that kind of thing and then i think a lot of guys they just they dive for the sugar you know they train let's say you do your fairly heavy work you're doing singles and doubles you could leave the gym having done maybe a dozen reps something like that I'm not sure you need to go refuel on 100 grams plus of, mm-hmm. of sugar as soon as you get home, you know. Uh, Mike, what do you think? What's your take on intense but not maintaining that kind of power output? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, I, I agree with you guys. It's, it's finding that the fine line, I think. Um, so, like, for a number, like, it's pretty rare that, anyone I would have on a lower day goes below like 120 grams of carbohydrates, um, which I'd say is probably a little bit lower. Um, so That's I look cool. at what is their performance in the gym? How is their recovery? And then obviously if body comp is their main goal, then kind of 
In a perfect world, they're trying to find the sweet spot where body comp is still getting pretty good and performance in the gym isn't, you know, completely tanking. So I think a lot of people go almost a little bit too extreme that, oh, carbohydrates are, are bad, so I'm going to cut them to, like, almost zero and that type of thing where I think just, like you guys said, cleaning up your diet a little bit, you know, making a little bit better choices, eating, you know, vegetables, having some fruit, things like that. You know, unless you're going to go do another super intense training session within a few hours you know you don't need a lot of hyper specialized carbohydrates for hundreds of grams right away post right you know, if your calories are pretty good you're eating decent you've got some carbohydrates most often than not the next day your performance is probably going to be okay glycogen is probably going to be okay yeah for me it sort of begs the question like there is a spectrum of power athlete you know so often in exercise science, we say these are the endurance athletes and these are the power athletes. But a power lifter or Olympic lifter, even a high jumper, these are single maximum effort, right, events versus someone who's running an 800, you know, or doing repeat explosive bouts, right? So someone doing that sort of stuff and relying on sort of those, you know, um, glycolytic lactate kind of systems yeah, they're going to be directly, it's specificity. You know, they're going to be training those systems uh, to use carbohydrates. But single effort stuff, you know, it does kind of beg the question, how, how glycogen depleted are you really? Now, the truth is I've seen some data that even just doing, I think it was three to four regular type sets of 10 repetitions over half an hour, you can actually deplete your muscle glycogen by about a third. So it does get used, but we're not even talking about that much in a lot of cases. You know, it's um, pure strength. Again, it's just the different energy systems. And if you're focused on ATP and phosphocreatine as your energy system, uh, you know, and you don't have a lot of volume involved, eh, I don't know. At, at the same time, like you said, there there is that idea of getting recovery, uh, what it might do to your hormones, you know, your nervous system. Uh, you know, stuff like that. But uh, Mike, did you find, you have some s recent studies on low carb or ketogenic stuff? Yeah. <clears throat> so one thing I, I use in practice with people is I'll track their volume on their lifts. And while volume isn't perfect, it's a pretty good surrogate for about how much carbohydrates they would need. And not that there's like an exact ratio per se, but even if you go to the gym and you do the, you know, dude bra arm day type thing, just because you're not lifting as much of a load as, say, uh, you know, back and chest day, your volume's automatically going to be a little bit lower. So you haven't done as much work, so you're not going to need quite as many carbohydrates as, you know, the other day I just did some chest and some back stuff, and, you know, volume was like 26,000 pounds. So I had more carbohydrates after that day compared to, you know, the previous day where I just did some front squats, and that was it. So... I think that's kind of a way you can approximate them a little bit. Um, on the other extent, there's a ketogenic diet, which is extremely high fat, you know, low to moderate protein, especially by kind of bodybuilding exactly, standards. Exactly, right. And then really low carbohydrate. So less than 50 grams of carbohydrate for most people. So if you had a bagel, you've already blown all your carbs on a <laughs> ketogenic diet. Um so I had an article that was published in the um, NSCA journal, so Strength and Conditioning Journal recently, 
Um, Andy Gelpen was the column editor. So it was basically just pro and con of ketogenic diets. Um, so it's, it's worth a read. You know, obviously I'm, I'm biased, but I was arguing for kind of the, the con of the ketogenic diet for strength and power athletes. Because mm-hmm. um, you are removing <clears throat> carbohydrates super low. We know that carbohydrates are kind of the main sort of power fuel for glycolysis, things of that nature. And there really isn't, well, so when I looked into it, there isn't that many studies on the ketogenic diet and physical performance. Um, some of them say they are, but if you look at the actual study, it's kind of debatable. Um, the one that always gets quoted a lot is the Paoli study and gymnasts, but he used like super high amounts of protein and did not measure any blood or urine ketones at all. So even though the title says ketogenic diet, I highly doubt that that really was a ketogenic diet. Um, the old uh, classic one that everyone quotes is the Steve Finney one from like the early 80s on uh, people doing cycling endurance. And if you pull the data on that, if I don't have it in front of me, but I think there's only like six people, like two got better, two got worse, and I think two stayed about the same. Um, so even in that study, it showed that there wasn't a, a super dramatic drop per se, again, in cycling performance, which is different than lifting. Um, but you know, small and, and then just recently, literally the other day, um, there's a new study in nutrition and metabolism, uh, impact of a six week, non-energy restricted ketogenic diet on physical fitness, body comp and biochemical parameters in healthy adults, uh, lead author is, uh, Paul Urbain, U-R-B-A-I-N. This literally just came out, uh, 2017, just the other day. And it was a pretty interesting study. So what they did is they, they took a ketogenic diet for six weeks, and they had it supervised. Um, they did measure urinary ketones. They didn't measure blood ketones, which you can debate and split hairs about that later. Um, but it was an actual ketogenic uh, study. They had 42 subjects. Uh, these were not super hard-training athletes or anything like that. What they did find is, uh, they did lose weight, so they lost about two kilograms. Um, and there was some debate because if you just read the abstract, it says they also lost equal amounts of fat free and fat mass. So that would kind of make you freak out a little bit if you're concerned about body comp. Right. Um, but if you read the full study, they use Bod Pod to measure that. And we know that if you do a ketogenic diet, especially for a while, your glycogen can go down. So if you have stored carbohydrates in the muscle, that actually counts as fat-free mass. So they tried to correct for this a little bit by using some um, body impedance and things of that nature, where they didn't show as much of a difference there. So probably not a huge loss of lean mass, at least in this study. Um, They did show in the ketogenic group, um, most blood lipids, everything was good. They did show that glucose, insulin, and IGF-1 dropped significantly in the ketogenic group. And they did show in the ketogenic group, the peak power was a little bit decreased. So 2.55 to 2.49. Uh, again, the catch on that is that because the ketogenic group lost a little bit more weight, that if you normalize it for body weight, there wasn't too much of a difference there. So all in all in English, if you translate the study, yeah, not too much of a difference really between groups. Um, Eh, maybe a little bit of a loss in the ketogenic group, although I think that's uh, probably debatable. Again, these were not super hard training athletes either. 
they were just told them they just keep, you know, doing your normal kind of recreational type activities. Right. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to translate a lot of this stuff to powerlifters and bodybuilders. Right. And, like, I think the, the bodybuilders have a sort of an anti-carb slant because if you're really very sore, I mean, I have da- I've seen data from Yurashevsky. Um, there's some nice, like, um, biopsy stuff from De La Guila. There's stuff from uh, 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 Mike Sherman, uh, early stuff. That suggests that when you have a lot of DOMS, a lot, lot of you know delayed onset muscle soreness, you just don't have the sensitivity to carbohydrates. And I actually look at that in the lab too. Like if you look at some of Sherman's early stuff, uh, their blood sugars didn't necessarily run higher when they were sore, uh, but their pancreas was cranking out extra insulin in order to deal with it. Again, they're, they're sort of resistant. And you can find some stuff about glycogen storage is poorer when you're really sore. And you think, what do bodybuilders do? They rotate through body part splits trying to make them sore, you know, themselves sore in a lot of ways. And I, I just think that added uh, to a lot of this. But not to mention, of course, that the fitness, the aspect of fitness that bodybuilders are after is body composition, right? It's right. not performance. So they don't care about maintaining 30-second bouts of you know, um, performance one after the other, uh, like if they're doing negatives or lower rep stuff or whatever. I did want to point everybody, because you're mentioning uh, different studies. There's a free video on YouTube. I, I found it here. It's um, Jukendrup, actually. And I think that's oh, how you nice. pronounce his name. Asker, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This was back in 2014, but it was the 18th Annual Congress of the European College of Sports Science. And it's a talk about... Um, high-carb versus low-carb diets for different kinds of athletes. And it's a nice review of the literature. And one of the things he was he said that was sort of uh, very applied was there are different ways to train in a low-carbohydrate state. I mean, other than uh, just starving yourself of carbohydrates for weeks at a time, right? So, um, like, for example, some athletes, if they, they'll do exhaustive exercise before bed, deplete their glycogen, and then they sleep all night in a low glycogen state. And so they're yeah, trying sleep to... Sleep low. F- yeah, sleep low idea, right? And they're trying to get those fat oxidizing, fat burning machinery systems upregulated, right? I mean, there's a the classic low carb diet. Um, he's even talking in here about people who they'll purposely not eat breakfast just to kind of extend the fast from the last night, you know? Uh, but some of these things you got to be careful because your liver glycogen goes up and down rapidly right and muscle glycogen can hang around for a while you know unless you're purposely depleting it with exhaustive uh, exercise you know but i think for me the take-home message of a lot of this stuff is um the way you eat you can get adaptations based on your meal choices like it's not just calories up and down or your macros today but you just like you train to get training results to get adaptations, you know, hypertrophy or more mitochondria or whatever it is, your body responds to your diet in similar ways. It could take a couple of weeks, you know, but I think it's fascinating that you can actually teach yourself to be a better fat-burning machine. Uh, I don't know. Let me pose a question to you, Mike, because my take on this is sort of like if you want to induce some of these fat-burning systems, uh, and you want to go on a low-carb diet, uh, you can become fat-adapted. It's easier for maybe some people than others, but for body comp reasons and changing your metabolism and getting the adaptations, that's one thing. But 
If you want to cash in on performance, that might be something else, right? So low-fat diets, ketogenic diets for body comp, but maybe then, I don't know. It's hard to say, oh, we'll just dump some carbs back in the system because then your carbohydrate machinery isn't really in place. You've been relying on the fat burning machinery. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, is is that similar to what you would think? Like the, the keto diets and stuff might be better for body comp, but maybe not the best choice for performance? Or uh, I know you're about flexibility, so. Yeah, yeah obviously I'm biased towards metabolic flexibility. But the, one of the things I've wondered with the ketogenic diets is if you look at the full spectrum, right? So if you want to go as, as hard as you can towards, say, carbohydrates, ATP, PC on the right end of the spectrum, and the use of fat on the left end of the spectrum, ketogenic diets are way out on the left end of the spectrum, right? So the faster study from Jeff Bolek showed, you know, huge amounts of max uh, fat oxidation or fat use in that study. Yeah. People who are chronically adapted to it for years, but trying to get in and out of ketosis with the leave the uh, supplements aside for now is not super easy. Like anecdotally, you talk to people who can kind of do it and they've been doing like ketogenic, maybe adding carbs here and there for usually years. It's not like a couple of weeks. Um, and like you're correct that if you're on a ketogenic diet and then you just say, well, like the old studies said, and it was a good idea that, hey, for this, you know, moderate endurance event, we're going to train with really low carbohydrates. We're going to increase fat oxidation, all that kind of stuff. And then right before the race, we'll just give you a crap ton of carbohydrates and you can use both. And what they found in most people is that the glycogen levels would be okay, but it was an access issue with the carbohydrates that they just tried to load before the race. That's probably a PDH enzyme-related stuff. Yeah. So Sterling Wealth has some cool stuff on that and a few other studies. So then they came up with, well, what if we do kind of this, you know, sleep low strategy, train high, different things like that. And one of the coolest studies on that is from uh, MedScience Sports from 2016. Uh, enhanced endurance performance by periodization of carbohydrate intake, a sleep below strategy. Uh, this is from uh, Marquette. That's from uh, Luis Burke and John Hawley's lab. And just real briefly, what they did is exactly what you were talking about, Lonnie, is they actually this time matched the training to the carbohydrate condition. So some of the earlier work that did not pan out, they said, all right, we're just going to take a period of time. We're going to whack your carbs low and you're going to do the same training. And then we're going to put carbs back in and we'll see what happens. But they didn't match the intensity in the fuel system to where they were. Right. So here they would purposely deplete muscle glycogen and then they would have them do usually a lower intensity session the next morning, perhaps. Right. So real briefly, the ways you can play with glycogen and and carbs is if I get up in the morning and I just did. So I did this the other day, a fasted 4K row. So I'm fasted, but my liver glycogen is low, but muscle glycogen is pretty much untapped from an overnight fast. Mm -hmm. So you could fast for even 24 or more hours. And if you're not exercising, muscle glycogen doesn't really go anywhere. It's right. not used. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be kind of a technically a low liver glycogen condition. Now I could go to the gym and do some brutal stuff like repeated wind gates or some super hard 
glycolytic type work maybe in the evening and then not replace those carbohydrates post and get up the next morning and do maybe a moderate type intensity session. So there I've got low liver glycogen and because I did not replete a lot of that muscle glycogen from the previous evening session, now I'm doing performance or training on low muscle glycogen. Yeah. And what you see basically in the study was that they did see some pretty good body comp changes within you know a short period of time. Performance was much better. Um, the other part you realize too is I've done this with a few people and looked at their HRV and stuff. It's incredibly brutal. So if you've ever done a brutal session in the later afternoon, not repleted any of those nutrients very much, maybe a little bit of protein, and then get up the next morning and do another moderate intensity session, that is brutal. <laughs> right. And so oh, you right. may be recovering quite a while from that. Yeah. So if you're on you know, more the elite end of the spectrum, maybe you need that big of a stimulus to get that response. Um, if you're just starting out, that's probably complete overkill for a lot of people. So, yep, yep. In fact, this is this is a 2014. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of browsing as you're saying this. And there's, he's pointing out again. This is that uh, Jukendrup uh, presentation yeah. from um, European College of Sports Med or Sports Science. But um, yeah, he's talking about there are different enzyme systems, and you know I don't want to bore listeners, but like when you say there's reduced PDH activity, just to give everybody sort of a mental picture of the machinery in the cell, you know you're running glycolysis at the top really hard. Imagine like a downward arrow, and then there's a linchpin in a sense between that and your main energy producing pathway, the Krebs cycle, right? And PDH is a is sort of that. So if you want to cash in on tapping all that carbohydrate in your muscle, you can't have pyruvate dehydrogenase, this linchpin, being – it's downregulated because you've been on a higher-fat diet, you know. Yep. It's just – yeah. So it, it, it again, it comes back to like the performance, like what's your goal? If it's body comp, uh, yeah, I would think that uh, ketogenic diets, if, if you can do that, you know, behaviorally, you could pull that off. I think there's quite a bit to that. In fact, we, should, we really need to get Jeff Volek on the show. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Because, uh, yeah, power lifter, right? Totally fat-adapted kind of anti-carb dude, <laughs> in my yeah. opinion. You know. Yeah, very um, much so. And one of the things I think you got to be careful with a lot of the, the research is, does it apply to a traditional tr power lifter or bodybuilding training session? Because so much of this stuff is time trials on a bike or running, yep. so it's high power output in watts, but not the kind of power that our population is cranking out. You know what I mean? You're talking about people who are, again, they're trying to run as hard and as fast as they can or cycle as hard as they can, so it's not moderate intensity, but you're talking about a different type of intensity that's it's still not as high in the power and the sheer wattage that you see from powerlifters and bodybuilders. You know, it's a different energy system in a sense. So when we talk about a lot of this performance stuff, yeah, it just seems really, you know, like you're kind of pointing at specific studies. Uh, we just have to get people to look more at the power crowd. And I don't mean, you know, like repeat bike sprints, but I mean lifting, you know. And I do think, and I think you probably agree, if you're really fat adapted and you're just, the carbohydrate pathways even in your gut, the absorption of carbohydrates, you know, can go up and down induced by your diet. Yeah. 
Um, I don't. I personally wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to do that. I guess I, I. I just can't help but think that if you're really fat adapted on the high end of of performance for a lifter, that's got to sag. Um, even if you're not using, you know, glycolysis in the traditional carb energy systems. I don't know. What do you think? Um. Define you mean in terms of sag, meaning that that's going to go down? You mean? Yeah, I mean, like if you're doing lower rep stuff and you're not exhausted, there's not a lot of volume. I still think having no carbohydrates, it's going to be hard to keep your intensity high, yeah. like your weights up. Yeah, I would agree with that. Again, and even if you go back to the the study from Finney, they anecdotally reported later that if they looked at speed and power again on a bike, that it was significantly less. Um, yeah, I just think that if you're really low, so the one thing I would love to see more data on is exactly what you were saying, ketogenic type diets with strength and power athletes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of it is endurance type events, which again is, at, I ran a whole study using, you know, bikes because it's easy to measure, it's easy to quantify, I can get numbers, I can compare it to current literature. But the downside is exactly what you said, Lonnie, it doesn't match necessarily what lifters are doing because you're doing high work explosive and then you're resting and you're going back to repeat that again mm -hmm. um i have talked to some lifters who do a ketogenic diet and actually lifted with them so dom d'agostino being one of them and a few other guys and it appears that if you stay in the atp pc area so you're keeping it under maybe 10 seconds anecdotally it looks like you can probably do okay yeah i um, guess that's my point kind of the yeah, long duration stuff, probably okay. You start getting into the more of the, the CrossFit strongman medley type stuff. I don't know. That just seems to crush everyone. <laughs> yeah, because you're shifting to carbohydrate-dependent energy yeah, systems, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 Well, okay. Uh, well, there it is, everybody. I just thought we could revisit some of this stuff. Dr. Nelson had some studies, and like I said, I was just talking about uh, – you know, ketosis in class. And I mean, there's so, there's so much misinformation. Even I've, I've heard dietitians talk about how ketosis is dangerous. It's acidotic, yeah. you know, ketoacidosis. It's like, listen, healthy people, even if you're eating 50 grams of carbs a day, again, healthy people, if you imagine insulin on a hundred scale, you've got single digit levels of insulin keeping you from becoming so ketotic that you get yep. you end up with wicked ketoacidosis and in fact Jeff Volek did a lot of that stuff so if you are told by a nurse or a doctor or a dietitian oh ketosis that's dangerous well for a, an out of control diabetic who's not on any insulin they have no working break at all yep. on fat metabolism you do even if you try to eat you know you become very fat adapted you're still a healthy person again background insulin is going to keep you from becoming so ketotic that it's uh, it's dangerous. Now, I'm not going to make a blanket statement for everybody. I don't want anybody to kind of, you know, well, they told me to do it. No, you go read about it, you know, <laughs> learn yourself. But at the same time, that gets grossly overstated, you know, and so there's a lot of misinformation and I don't know. I do like the idea, I guess, final note from my perspective is of balking the system. The food system is built around carbohydrates because they're cheap. They're oh, cheap, yeah. you know, um, so the food industry, everything is sort of combinations of like low quality fats, and, you know, and starches and sugars. And we just repackage it in a million different ways because it's cheap. There's a good profit margin, you know. And so we live in this hyper insulinemic state all the time. 
you know, we're very carbohydrate dependent, like, you know, Mike's always talking about flexibility, metabolically, our, on average, we've lost the ability to burn fat because we're always in a high insulin state. So a lot of the, I mean, forget about just looking at the carb and fat burning machinery, the, the fat building machinery starts to upregulate. You know, when you're constantly in a high insulin state, enzymes like um, acetylcholine carboxylase, I'm not going to bore people, but it's, it's, yeah, it's very lopsided. It's, we talk about diet and balance, balanced diet. There's nothing balanced about the way Americans eat. We're in a high blood sugar, high insulin state all the time. And at least these attempts where there's paleo or, you know, whatever it is, ketogenic diets, at least they're an attempt to balk that and remind your body how to burn fat. I don't know what your closing thoughts are, Mike, but. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And the, the population that, that you're talking about there generally is not physically active either. So now they've got reduced ability to use all the carbohydrates. Right. Their body says, ooh, insulin's high. I'm trying to use carbohydrates. I'm trying to sort of fix this problem as best as I can. Uh, so over time, and there's studies to show this, right? So um, I did one, Helge did one, Gadecki. If you just pull people kind of off of the street and you do low intensity or even resting, hook them up to the fancy machinery and see how much fat they're using, it's incredibly variable from like 20 to 90% difference. So some people are pretty good at doing that. Um, other people, not very good at all. Um, yeah. And so it, there's no health data on that yet. But my gut feeling is that if you're burning carbohydrates at rest to a high degree, that that's probably going to show later to not be healthy. So, yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's it's like uh, I want to say "told you so." I mean, the old school bodybuilding yeah. stuff. You know, <laughs> it, you, so you you lifted last night. You come home. Like I would keep carbs out of my dinner for the most part. So I don't know if I'd, I'd call that sleeping low, but somewhat maybe and then i get mm -hmm. up the next morning before breakfast and walk uphill for an hour you know and it's all mild it's sort of a fat burning intensity and you know then i'd have some carbs and go to the gym and whatnot but anyway yeah it, it's just funny how a lot of the things that in the trenches seem to work you know maybe bodybuilders aren't so clueless and random you know in the end anyway you know and the same may be true with some of these playing with the macros like this so yeah. Okay. The only last comment I have is that if you do decide to try a ketogenic type diet, um, make sure you know what you're doing and read up on it and get help, that kind of thing. And then after you've been on it for a while and you actually are in ketosis, it's probably a good idea to get your blood work drawn. Most people and most of the data shows that you know blood lipids and everything are pretty good. Um, but I have seen a couple people where their blood lipids just went wonky. Um, and that's not all the time it's definitely a small percentage but uh, you would want to know if you're one of those people okay yeah you know i i again i don't want to keep going back to this but we didn't really define ketone bodies and we probably should in simplest terms to me they're if you mobilize more fat then you can burn right because maybe your aerobic base isn't really high or because you're on a really low carb diet whatever it is when you mobilize more fat than you can burn you end up with partly broken down fat and that's ketone bodies are sort of that right they're um kind of the intermediate ish yeah yeah so okay well having said that that's a little bit of nerdism but hopefully yeah. you, you science some, corner yeah you got some <laughs> insights when phil has to go off to the gym the nerds go nuts so <laughs> 
so nerds we'll, are left in charge. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we'll catch up with everybody next time. See you. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.